you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we're here again on another podcast. It's like fire. I don't know why, but I think I'm going to make an audio bit of that. I, I, I kind of like that thing. So write me and tell me what you think. Years ago, what was it, like 10, 20 years ago, 10 years ago or something, somebody, people called me from all over the world and said, you got to keep doing the Chris Voss show singing. And I was like, seriously, we did that for a week bit, and now we have to do it all the time. But I like the fire thing. I might make like a little a sound bite of that and put it out. It's, so anyway, guys, be sure, of course, to always refer to share your friends and family. We have today an amazing author on the show, and he's going to be talking to us about a couple of books he's done, the latest book that he just put out called Psycho Lives. So we'll be talking to him. Go to goodreads.com, forward Chris Voss, hit the bell notification button on youtube.com, forward Chris Voss. Also go see all of our groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Sign up for the big LinkedIn group there, 122,000 people over there, and also the big LinkedIn newsletter. That thing is always fun as well. Today, we have an amazing guest on the show. His name is David Richmond. He's the author of the book that came out September 28th, 2020, called Cycle of Lives, 15 People's Stories, 5,000 Miles, and a Journey Through the Emotional Chaos of Cancer. He's going to be talking to us about his book and uh, everything he does. He is speaking and media and all sorts of different things. After working a variety of industries, including launching two startups, David Richmond entered the financial industry as an advisor. Several years in, he found that his interests were more in managing people and businesses rather than in managing money. Over the next 15 years, he managed ever larger businesses for the same Wall Street firm, among other pursuits. David now works with a nationally recognized financial services firm committed to keeping the advisor in the forefront. Over the last 10 years, David has completed 50 triathlons, including 15 Ironman distance triathlons and more than 50 runs longer than marathon distance, including 24-hour runs, running 85 miles in Mexico in the heat of summer, running 104 miles straight from Santa Barbara to Manhattan Beach, and most recently biking 4,700 miles in just six weeks. Pretty amazing. Get on, welcome to the show, David. How are you? Excellent. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate that. There you go. There you go. It's good to have you on the show. Give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs and where you want people to learn more about you. They can learn more at cycleoflives.org. Um, there you go. Yeah, I'm a nonprofit, so all the proceeds from, from everything comes in, goes out to the cancer-focused charities and other charities that were chosen by the book participants here. So <clears throat> so it's a, it's a nonprofit. There you go. So is it is it based, uh, what does the nonprofit do and, and how does it do it? Basically, any money that comes in from, you know, speaking, books, donations, whatever, that goes into a pot and gets split up between the cancer-focused organizations and hospitals and other charities that were chosen by the 15 different people that I interviewed for a few years for this latest book. So they each had an affinity to one organization, and I just said, well, let's just split up the money evenly. And, um, and, and just, uh, just give it, give it to all of them. So that's what we do. There you go. So let's talk about your book, Cycle of Lies. What motivated you want to write it? 
The motivated me to write it, Chris, was I witnessed while my sister was going through terminal brain cancer that there was a underlying commonality with everybody that I spoke to, witnessed, watched, whether they were a doctor, Chris, or a caregiver, a loved one, a survivor, you know, patient undergoing, you know, treatment at the time, this one underlying commonality. And that was they were all kind of pretty well-equipped or could get well-equipped to deal with the trauma, mm. right? You, you know this from your background, like you're in trauma mode. You're like, oh, what do I need to fix this? Like, how do I navigate the health insurance? How do I get my kids watched? What, you know, get back and forth the chemo, right? These kind of things they were good about. But when it came to how do you feel about it? What are the emotions that you're going through? What have you dealt with being a, an oncologist for 40 years on an emotional, these type of things, People, Chris, found themselves very isolated, self-isolated. You know, the emotional side of this kind of trauma is very, very dealt with very much by themselves. Even closest people to them don't know how to have these hard conversations about like, how are you feeling about it? Mm -hmm. And I was drawn to, to try to figure out wh why is that? Maybe not provide the answers, but give a little bit more insight as to why that is so that we could be better equipped to start those hard conversations with the people in our own lives that are going through things or if we're going through things, how we can better have those hard conversations with people that might care about us. That's that's very interesting. Cancer is 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 one of the ultimate evils. Yeah, I, my dog went through cancer, and I put it through hospice care for almost two years. And you know, I mean, we 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 take my puppy in to see the the the. She was about sixteen, I think, fifteen, sixteen. We take my puppy in to see the doctors, and they'd be like, she's eating, and she's pooping and peeing, and she's. She comes running for treats, you know, as long as she's, she's still with it. She, you know, there's no reason to put her down. She had uh, anal sac cancer, which is very different because I could see the cancer growing late next year and a half. I watched something grow from very small into almost a golf ball. And so I know what this experience is like. Uh, it's, it's especially doing hospice care. So you, you talk about 15 remarkable stories of people going through their encounters with cancer. Yeah. And their journeys, the the span of emotions. I know what this is like, like I mentioned before, going through. You know, it, it it takes it does take a toll on you. So why did you decide to present fifteen different stories in the book? Well, so what I wanted to do was to get a three sixty view of the emotional side of 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 that experience of of cancer. And the only way that I could do that was to present stories where there were a wide range of age, types of cancer, severity of cancer. What perspective they came from? Were they a patient? Were they a doctor? Were they a loved one? Did mm -hmm. they did they have cancer one time and done, or did they have cancer five different times in their? And also, I needed to have people that had a wide range of different traumas in their backgrounds. We all had trauma, but different traumas that we might be able to identify with, because those traumas manifest themselves into people's abilities, or more often their inability to to deal with the emotional side of things later in life. So I wanted people who had a wide range of emotional responses to the things they were going through. Even as, even gratitude, you know, relief, there's, there's some positive, very positive things. And so in order to get that type of a view with that many different factors, I had to find a number of different people. And so I found a way more than 15, but 15 that over a period of a couple of years of me really in interviewing them, getting to know them really at deep, 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 deep level talking about things that each one, Chris, had mentioned to me multiple times they had never talked to anybody about. Oh. Then what I did is I, I, I just figured like that kind of checked all the boxes. 
mm-hmm. different ages, different types of cancer, different experience, you know, a, a quick, a quick and, and, you know, one and done, you know, they, they'd been dealing with their whole life, whatever. And I wanted to bring these stories in, in a poignant, you know, kind of inspirational, really deep dive level so that when we are going through something or when we know somebody that's going through something, I might be able to understand, like, how can I talk to you about what your dog's going through? Like, mm-hmm. Instead of just saying, oh, I'm sorry, and then backing out of the conversation because I don't want to say something stupid. Yeah. Right. The, it's it's interesting what the journey people go through, and so it, you have are, are are when people read the book, are, are they are they going to be inspired? Are they going to what are they going to find when they read the book? Because sometimes you know it can be a little dark with cancer. Yeah, and I'm really glad that you asked that question because there's two or three stories that have a kind of tragic bent to them, but even those have an inspirational, optimistic, forward thinking, just just very fulfilling and evocative story to them. And an example, right? An example is the very first story in the book is a story about Bobby and what he goes through is super tragic, but I think people can identify with it and be inspired by it. And and that is that he grew up his whole life not being a nice guy. He was an angry, angry guy. You know, things didn't go well for him. It's kind of, he dug himself holes he couldn't get out of and then he got angry about it. He, this was relationships, work, everything, right? Mm-hmm. He finally meet someone who has, he, he put it, made him see things for the first time through a clear lens. Like she gave him a new pair of glasses, mm-hmm. right? And he, they fall madly in love. She gets cancer shortly after they meet. Within a couple of years, they're married and she dies oh, wow. and, of the cancer. It's really tragic. But fast forward to the fact that through their experience, they got to know each other so well. They talked about everything. She made him be the best him that he could be and made her made him promise to her that she, that he would go to counseling after she died, that he would allow himself to love and he would allow himself to be loved. And it was this really deep connection that they had with each other and how to turn who he was pre her into who he could be past her. And he's now happily married to someone. They, they do a a event every year to raise some money in, in, in his deceased wife's memory. They've lived, you know, this wonderful life together, you know, for the last, I, I think 15 years or so. And, and what I said to him is, is like, how do you put it into perspective? And he said, so yeah, if she didn't die, I'd be married to her, have kids and I'd be living the greatest life ever. But she, she did die and that didn't happen. But I wouldn't change my life for a second right now. I have a wonderful life. I'm the best person I could be. I have somebody in my life that I love and respect and that loves and respects me. My life is perfect. I wouldn't change it. So the, 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 even though it's somewhat tragic, Right. It's also kind of inspirational to know that you can have a second act in life where you could be your best you, you know, be beyond tragedy. And and so in that in that case, Chris, that, you know, even though it's a it's a difficult story to, to go through, it's also very inspirational to know how we can come out positive on the other side of tragedy. Definitely. I mean, you know, s- surviving these things, you know, there's what's that little lesson that that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger, mm-hmm. you know, so going through these cathartic times sometimes where it seems like we might lose everything and cease to exist. Sometimes that's when you find yourself, you know, I've been saying, yeah, Go ahead. well said. And there's a great lesson to learn in there. And, and the lesson was that he felt that people wanted him to, you know, be in this dark, ugly place after, after his wife died mm-hmm. and she had promised him or made him prom a promise her 
you you cannot be in a dark, ugly place. You have to move on. You're the best you ever. I mean, I wish I could enjoy it, but I'm not going to be around. But but you need to be the best you. You need to move on. You need to be happy. You need to live your life. And I mean, wouldn't that be interesting? Like, how, how would we feel about somebody that could move past that? You know, like, oh, it's very uncomfortable, right? It can be. But when you when you learn the whole story, then you realize why some people can't move on from tragedy. And some people don't take things as hard as we might. Or they take them harder than we might, right? Mm-hmm. We just don't know. They're just living their lives. But I think what it does is give some insight into, you know, why I shouldn't walk around giving somebody puppy dog eyes just because something bad happened to them. Maybe they've moved past it. Maybe they're in a better place because of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and learn something from it. You know, I've been studying stoicism a lot and the memento mori is a thing I have on my refrigerator where I, where I recognize that time is limited and we don't know how much time we have and it could be tomorrow, it could be later today. We don't know. And you you want to do the best that you can with the time that you have. You know, I remember complaining when I was turning 50, you know, I, oh God, I turned the big 5-0 on my Facebook and, you know, I was kind of, I wasn't throwing a full pity party, but you know, I, was, I, I do a lot of snarky joking on Facebook and so I was kind of like, oh, you know, here it is, you know, God. And some, someone wrote me something on there and they, they stabbed right to the point of it that got to me. And they said, you know, Chris, there's a whole lot of, there's like millions of people, probably billions of people that wanted to reach 50 and never did. And they're, they're never going to get that chance to reach 50. So why don't you just consider yourself lucky there, buddy, or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And it really struck me. I was like, Wow, maybe I should operate from an attitude of gratitude as opposed to as opposed to complaining about fifty. And that's really, you know, I mean, a lot of people have the attitude that you know, one one more day above ground is is a good day. So when you go through these stories, are you still in contact with these fifteen people? And it sounds like they're they're kind of interact with the with the nonprofit, I guess. Yes, really not from that point of it because that was just an agreement mm-hmm. between us to do that and all, all the. All the organizations are listed in the book and on my website. But yes, some of the people became very close friends mm-hmm. and are still close friends to this day. Some, uh, we went through the exercise. They 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 bought, bought into what we were trying to do, gave it their all, and then moved on. And, and I kind of love the mix, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Because what you just mentioned makes me think of this idea of of, of Sonder and this, 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 you know, the, the the word sonder, what what it does, it kind of gives you this understanding when you have a sense of sonder. It gives you an understanding that you're just a pastor buyer in everybody else's life and they're just pastor buyers in yours. Yep. So like what you just said, like live your own life, right? Because you can't compare it to other things because you got to live your life. You got to live your best life. And so some for some of the people, their best life was and the right place for them, thankfully, was to just absolutely bear it all. You know, give me the, the nothing's anonymous. Give, give me the, the dirt, you know, the hard times, the good times, you know, the real thing, and then move on and off into the sunset and go live your life. Cause, cause, you know, that's, that's what you do. So I feel very grateful that a few of the people turned into very close friends. And I also am just as grateful that I had the opportunity to, to visit somebody's inner thoughts and the inner, you know, innermost emotions that they had. And they gave me that pass to go do that with them. And, and now they're off and gone. I, I kind of like that as well. I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. One of my early renditions of that was Billy Joel's line from one of his songs. Life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. I'm afraid it's time for goodbye again. And, and you just learn that people pass through your life and stuff. 
So you've done a lot of biking. What are some things you learned from biking 5,000 miles from California to Florida and then up to New York? I learned a lot of lessons. We probably could do multiple podcasts on all the lessons. (laughs) I will tell you that there is, I, I did find the secret joke of the universe is that whichever way you're riding your bike across the country and whatever direction you go each day, the wind is going to be in your face. I learned that. Huh. And Mother Nature is one one cruel beast when it comes to the wind on a cross-country bike ride. Because it, I I would be like going like north, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the wind would be in my face and I'd go, oh, tomorrow I get to go south. And then all the wind would be in my face. And then tomorrow I'd go, the day after that I'd go northeast and the wind would be in my face. I'm like, really? Like, like who's got it out for me? So I learned that. But no, I, I mean, truthfully, I, I did learn a lot. I I I... I reconcile because look, I don't know if, if, if you, you know if you've done endurance athletics, but I'm sure a lot of your listeners have or know people that have. It's a very contemplative place. Yeah, like if you're on a lonely highway, biking for 12 hours, you're going to solve a lot of problems. And when you take a moment, and I'm taking, I'm saying a moment inside of a 14 hour day of biking to meet a stranger or to interact with someone along the way, you're going to learn a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and I learned. That, that there's always, there's always a story. People always have a story. There's, that people live amazing lives. They, they're just living their lives. So they don't think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But when you sit down and talk to people and you get a minute with them, boy, if you can listen well and ask the right questions, people are amazing. I also learned, uh, contrary to my belief, that pictures are nice. They're a lot nicer than you think they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had a few people honk horns, a few people, you know, chase, chase their dogs after me on purpose. Oh. So I'm not going to say everybody in the world's nice, but I did have a lot of people that stopped to help me or offered to help me anytime that I looked like I needed help. And I was kind of shocked. Like how mm-hmm. many times is somebody going to stop on the side of the road and ask me if I'm okay when I'm sitting there changing a flat? I'm like, that's really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, people donating to the, to the organization without having met me, just hearing the story of what I was doing. So. I, I learned a, a ton and, and I'd say probably the two that stick most in me is people are way kinder than I thought they were. And also I, I love the idea that there's way more behind the, behind the story of each person and, and it humbles you some, humbled me because everybody's going through something. Everybody's gone through something and people deal with a lot, man. They, they just deal with a lot and they don't always show it. And, and, and that was a, a theme that made me feel real proud about the book because I felt like the book was going to help people because everybody's going through something. Everybody's going through something. Look at mm-hmm. the story about your, your dog. Right? Mm-hmm. That's just one of a hundred things you could have told me that, that affect you on an emotional level when it comes to trauma. And uh, to gain a little insight might, might a- let me know how to interact with you in the future a little bit better. So that was a true gift. You know, Larry King, I remember watching Larry King one time and he was talking about how he, his interest in people's stories and he has this innate curiosity about people's stories. He goes, everywhere I go, I I interview people, I talk to people, I'm I'm curious about their story, I'm curious about the choices they made. And I internalized that because I lived most of my life thinking I I must have the perfect way of living a life. There's a bit of narcissism probably in my youth. It might still be, I mean, if you're a psychologist, have fun with that. But but uh, I learned to really get interested in people's stories and what you can learn from them because people learn from my stories. That's kind of how we share stuff. That's what movies are about. That's what books are about. That's what TV shows are about. 
Mm-hmm. We're all sharing stories that in, in ways or experiences, but inside of them are life lessons. There are these uh, little beautiful Pandora's boxes that can open up. I talked in my book about how I didn't want to share when my when my other dog had passed away from a seizure. Within half an hour, it was over. It was kind of a memento mori moment. And I didn't want to share the pain of that because it was almost too much to share. And I, I just felt like it maybe should be private. But I shared that. And I and between that and my other dog going through cancer, I, I've saved so many dogs' lives and inspired so many people. And there were a lot of people who wrote me and said they got closure. And so that's one of the reasons I love my podcast is people come on and they share their stories, their life mm-hmm. journeys. And I find it completely intriguing. And there's so many lessons to learn from it. And hopefully that's what resonates with the audience and, and makes them go away with, wow, that that was an amazing story that came on today on the Chris Foss show. Yeah. Uh, subscribe plug. I don't know what that comes <laughs> up like the whole thing, but you know, that's very well said. And the thing is, is we don't often take the time, nor are we given the opportunity to learn people's stories. Uh-huh. I, I, let, let me tell you an example. So back in the back in the day during the financial crisis, I was running a big business for a major Wall Street firm. I had about 100 people at one location. It was a really rough time. And if anybody's going through anything, you know, terribly draining on their me- mental health, you know, really talk to someone because, you know, that could help you. But one of my advisors ended up taking his own life. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very, very traumatic for the people that, that he worked with, the young guy, young family, wonderful, wonderful man. And who knows what made him snap. But I was absolutely shocked, Chris, as I walked around, because we, we, we brought in a trauma specialist, but they were a day away. And I wanted to walk around and talk to everyone. And every single person, Chris, every single person, when I walked in and I closed the door and I'm like, oh man, can you believe it? They were like, let me tell you a story. Every single one had a story of how suicide had affected them personally. Wow. A family member, a friend in their childhood or whatever. And these were people I had known for years, right? Gone to their weddings, you know, funerals, you know, birthdays, you know, barbecues. I didn't know that they were had dealt with that kind of trauma. Every single one of them had. And it's like when you take a moment to learn people's story, when you take a moment to understand them, or they give you the opportunity to, to understand them at a deeper level, that's where you know, human connection really happens, you know, to know that you could bond with listeners that you don't even know because they took a moment to hear your story about what you went through and it caused them to be moved enough that it stuck with them. And and maybe they, you know, five years later or three years later or that day used your story as a, as a pivot point for something in their life. And how wonderful is that? And, and that's kind of the thing that's been driving me for the last 15 years or so is driving, you know, that deeper connection through storytelling, because that, like, like you said before, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Storytelling. I mean, that's how we learn. You don't get a life, you don't get a manual in life. They don't hand you, you know, I I don't know if you got one. I didn't get one. Do you get one? (laughs) They don't hand you a manual. I not only didn't get a manual, I didn't get a mentor. I didn't get a parent (laughs) to do this, do that. You know, I, it was like, it was like blindfold and dark. Just figure it out, dude. Yeah, yeah, and, and and you go through life that way, and you have to stumble and make mistakes, and and fortunately, stories are ways that we sometimes learn other people's mistakes, so that hopefully we don't make them, and you know they they also you know uplift us, they give us motivation, they you know sometimes other people's loss helps us. I mean, when I talked about my dog, 
on Facebook after losing her that night. I, I had so many people write me privately. I didn't know it was going to help other people. I thought I was just complaining. And so many people wrote me and they go, wow, watching you go through that experience or share the, the, the loss of bleeding that out online, I realized I didn't get closure with my dad's death. I realized I didn't get closure with my dog's death. I, I didn't realize that I was still suffering from, from something. And uh, I, it was astounding to me how much it helped other people when I thought it was a, self, a selfish act. And, and, and almost didn't yeah. share it. Fortunately, I'd had enough vodka where finally after an hour or <laughs> half an hour debating, I just said, fuck it. There's my suicide note. Go see you later. If I don't wake up in the morning after a bottle of vodka and, and uh, stuff, then, then people know why. But so let's talk about leadership a little bit. You've, you've written two books, I believe. Winning in the Middle of the Pack is your other book. Yeah. Well, another, I, I've written other books. I've written books okay. on endurance athletics and, 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 and other things like that. But yeah, the, the other main book I wrote was winning in the middle of the pack. And I thought where I came up with this book was there, I found by accident, cause I didn't start doing endurance athletics till later in life. I was uh, nearly 40 before I did my first run ever. I was a smoker. I was overweight. I was sedentary. And then all of a sudden, a lot of things happened in my life in a very short period of time that said, dude, you got to, you got to make some changes. And so I started to become active and I, then I, that led to me doing endurance athletics and half Ironmans and Ironmans. I just did a half Ironman four days ago. You know, I, I, so it became a lifestyle. I, I realized that there was a lot of, of similarities and I'm not saying tritely. I mean, really deep similarities between doing, let's say a hundred mile run and having a hundred employees or running a hundred million dollar business. There's a lot of similarities. And so I wrote this book, Winning in the Middle of the Pack, that, I don't know, I mean, in a very short description, I kind of believe that most people go through life trying to please others or worrying about how others are going to perceive them rather than doing it for themselves. And we're taught, mm -hmm. we're kind of taught, if you do for yourself, that's like a little selfish. Mm -hmm. But when you look at somebody like a Michael Jordan or an Oprah Winfrey or, you know, whom, whoever you want to, uh, Tiger Woods, what they, they all do stuff for themselves, right? They, they could care less of what anybody else thinks. And, and, and I think we could adopt that a little bit. And in the middle of the pack, cause I'm not going to ever be an Oprah Winfrey or Elon Musk or whatever. In the middle of the pack, if I can just do it for myself, I'm probably going to get a lot more out of it than if I'm trying to do it to please you. Mm -hmm. And so that's what the winning in the middle of the pack is all about. And what do you like about racing and, and bicycling and, and doing all this stuff, what is it? What did you find it did for you? It's it says here on your bio of the book, you were you, you might not have lived to forty. You were overweight, heavy smoker, in a destructive marriage, trying to protect yep. two kids, prone to extremes. You were very unhappy. What did you find doing some of this stuff, triathlon, et cetera, et cetera? What, what did you find that did for you? At first, it 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 uh, prevented me from continuing to smoke. Right. Cause you can't smoke and swim at the same time. <laughs> so, so at first it was, it was you the could try. Like, you could try, but yeah, it's not gonna, it's not gonna taste very good. So, so it, it stopped, it helped me stop smoking and helped me stop overeating. It helped me relieve some stress and look for positive out, out, you know, outcomes from my stressful days instead of negative ones. That's how it started out benefiting mm -hmm. me. Then it became more of a health thing. Like, wow, I started becoming you know, physically the best I'd ever been in my whole life. And that's kind of a drop, right? How's, how cool is it to know that you can do these things like go run a hundred miles because that's what you want to go do. Like, wow, that's pretty amazing. Especially from a guy who never did anything like that his whole life. But then really what it became is a, a real magnet for my desire to learn. 
And so I have this, this, this really big desire to learn to see what I can, what I can get out of life, who I can become, what lessons I can learn. And, and endurance athletics is a great teacher of lessons. And it's, it's really, it's really fantastic. And once I found that I could learn more about myself and I could apply those lessons, cause I had learned a lot of lessons in business. Mm-hmm. I just never knew how to apply them to myself. Mm-hmm. So when I, <laughs> right, when I, when I, when I kind of said, Oh shoot, there's comparisons between running the business and raising kids and running, you know, marathons. Ah, what can I learn? Then it became a real draw for me. And so mm-hmm. that was the, that was the, the, you know, the, the elixir, the magical elixir for, for me is, is learning. What, what can I learn about myself? What, what can I do? What am I learning? Yeah. You know, wh- how, how low did I set my, my goals or how high have I set my goals? When to quit, when not to quit. I mean, I could go on and on, but I just, I just love the, the learning part of it. Yeah. The, you know, it, 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 things like these really hone your headspace, I guess. I don't know if that's, it doesn't sound very professional, but you talk about how it helps you find mental acuity and deep personal self-awareness. Yeah. And it's a real headspace game. Like about 11 months ago, I started working out, worked out for 10 months straight until I got inaugural hernia. But I started going to the gym for the first time every single day or every other day if I had a, you know, I had a wanted an off day. And you know, at 54, you can't, you gotta, you kind of sometimes need to get, take an extra day off. But for the most part, I went every day for 10 months to the gym and I never gone to the gym every day for ever in 54 years. And so this was a new thing for me. And it was all about the headspace of, of going and working out and forcing yourself to push your limits. And I was really enjoying it and it was really awesome. And I, I look forward to going back to it, but even losing weight, you know, I've, I've lost 75 pounds twice now going through intermittent fasting and, you know, there's a headspace to it. It's a, you, you have to hack your brain. You have to hack your belief system. You have to hack your thought processes and you know, disable the crap that got you into bad places like smoking or being overweight or, you know, not wanting to go to the gym every day, you had to hack it and then you have to deal with it. And I'm sure that during a triathlon or, you know, a long bike ride, you know, there's your body really starts in your mind really starts fucking with you where yeah. it's like, you know, what, what, what are you doing here, buddy? This is, this is hard. What are you, what's going on, man? And you've got to be able to you know, master what's going on between your ears, which for many people is, is harder to do than, you know, just bossing other people around or telling everybody else what to do. Right. But oftentimes don't we just think about when something's super hard, even if it's something that we chose, it's easier to complain about it and <laughs> kind of right. The, uh, I, I got like, I remember one time I had to do something at work that was really, really hard. I had to terminate someone who didn't deserve to be terminated. Mm-hmm. And I had to do it for a number of different reasons I won't go into, but it was really difficult for me to do. And I, before I did it, I, I closed the door and I went into my boss and I said, man, this is really hard. Like, I really don't want to do it. And she said, she was my language, but she said, we do hard work here. You want a friend? Get a fucking dog. <laughs> oh, shit. Wow. Right. It's, it's, it's supposed to be hard. And so, right. So, I think that's the new theme of the show. Right. You want a friend, get a dog, get a so, dog. So, but, but then, then you think about it and go, well, okay. If it's supposed to be hard then when it is hard, it's not so hard. Right. So if, if I told you right now to go run 20 miles and you'd be like, there's no way I'm going to do it. 
But if you thought to yourself, I, I, I know it's going to be hard. I know I, I, I've got this number of different obstacles I got to come up to. Like I'm in the mind space to realize that it's going to freaking hurt. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to feel well. Like it makes it a little bit easier, right? Yeah. It's, right. So it is, like you said, it's, it's mental cute. It's changing the way that you think. It's, it's, it's like, it's a quest to, it's a quest to know because I had lived my whole life. Like, like same thing that Bobby did dug holes just to get out of them, make people happy. I had a chip on my shoulder, you know, whatever. And, and I never did it for me. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and I like the idea of being your best self for you. And then that allows you to be your best self for others. Definitely. Not the, not the other way around. Yeah. Hacking your brain and, you know, especially doing something that you know, there's going to be physical pain and that, and that it's going to challenge you because, you know, it's one thing to think, you know, like for me, okay, I'm going to write a book. I, I, I wrote my first book last year. And, you know, that's a mental game. But when it deals with pain in the body, so for you in a case of cycling mm-hmm. or doing a triathlon, you know not only do you have to hack your brain, you're going to have to deal with your, your body's issues where your body is like screaming out or something hurts or something's not working or you pull a muscle or, you know, you've got to push through that 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 thing. You know, I remember when I would go to the gym every day, I would I would push through and then there would be that kind of euphoric moment where your body finally kicks in and goes, goes yeah, this is fun. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. And you, you, you know that pain is coming. And a lot of people, when they look at, when they know pain is coming and, and maybe some of the folks that you interviewed in your book, Cycle of Lives, maybe some of those 15 people, they knew that pain was going to come as a, as a part of cancer and maybe the pain of, of death and loss and, and, and your family and et cetera, et cetera. You know, anticipating that physical pain is a whole new level of, of, of brain hacking that you need oh, to do. No question. Absolutely. No question. There's just one, one of the stories is this woman, Patricia, and I won't tell you the whole story because her story is 10 different stories, but she had cancer five different times in her life. Jesus. In her adult life, took care of her father while, while he was dying of cancer. She was in an abusive relationship, you name it. But near the end of her last bout with can- or one of her last bouts with cancer, she was out with friends getting ready to go on a boat. And she needed to run back to the hotel room to get something. And she looked in the mirror and she said, you know what? I mean, you're wearing this, this thing tied around your head because you don't have any hair. And you know what? Just take it off. Just be yourself. Everyone has their time in the barrel. Like this is your time in the barrel. So what? Everybody has their time in the barrel. Just they, they'll deal with it. You deal with it. Just smile and move on. And I'm like, what the hell? Like you're going through your, at that time, third or fourth bout with cancer different types of cancer, very serious cancers too. And she just looks in the mirror and smiles at herself and says, Hey, everybody gets their turn in the barrel. And I'm like, wow, man, how in the world could I, could I ever learn how to think like that? Yeah. That's, that's the term I adopt from somebody too. Somebody would, would say, you know, every, I, I always thought that, you know, trying to do life with a perfect trajectory and, and, and a lot of us have the delusion, especially in this Instagram life that people live these, perfect lives okay. you, know, you go on instagram and you you look at people and they're like they seem like they're living their best lives and and uh probably that's about the only time that they're not crying into their pillow every night is when the photo and then the rest of the time they're they're in some sort of depressed state and so we have this fomo or this delusion this fear of missing out and and people don't understand but yeah everyone's every the one that's the one thing I've kind of learned to accept in life and and through listening to other people's stories like reading your book and 
and other things that I've gone through in my life where I've heard other people's stories, people that come on the podcast is, is yeah, everyone has their time in the barrel. I don't, I don't know of really anyone who's ever had a perfect life or perfect challenge. And, you know, sometimes you can see people that like, oh, Michael Jordan, you know, or Oprah Winfrey, oh, they had a perfect run and everything was a home run and, and they weren't. And then you find out that, you know, everyone has, goes through struggles in life and they, they have to go through a lot of, I think everybody almost goes through at least one cathartic sort of experience. Oh, well, there's, there's no way that, that that's not true. And mm-hmm. I think by, by, by being open to the fact that what might be easy for you is super hard for somebody else. And what might be, you know, super easy for somebody else is super hard for you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to learn that kind of empathy and compassion. Like I, I, I love this story of, of one of the people in the book. He's, he's this doctor. He, he, he built a great practice. He's got, you know, he's a, he's a big executive in the medical business. Like this guy, and you look at him and you think, man, this guy's got the, like the most wonderful life. And you realize that at some point in his life, he had a severely handicapped child. He was a single dad. At one point in his life, he was so low that he was digging in the sofa as a doctor, as a, as a single dad, digging in the sofa for loose change. Well, he could stop at the gas station to go get gas to fill up enough that he could go pick up his paycheck so he can go cash it and, and grab dinner. I mean, wow. you never know what people are going. You never know, right? Yeah. The, the doctor that comes in and seems like they're not paying attention to you, maybe they just had to tell somebody in the previous room that they were going to die. And maybe, yeah. that, they, maybe they didn't know how to process that, mm-hmm. right? So. Just, and I'm not saying we can walk around being, you know, tippy toe around everybody who might be going through something difficult, but to learn a, a deeper sense of empathy, to learn a deeper sense of compassion that everybody's going through something or has gone through something, probably like you just said, at least one major cathartic traumatic event, most likely multiple. To understand that at a deeper level allows us to form that deeper connection. That's the, that's the whole purpose of yeah. it. And also help us realize that that, hey, it's okay if we're going through hard times. It's okay if we're, if we're taking our time in the barrel. You know, there's, there's many people that, that they worry about their image in life. They worry about how they're perceived. Some would say it's biological. Yeah. And, you know, they worry about, oh, what will someone think if they see that I'm failing? I think, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of, up until that moment that I shared my dog's death, I'd always kind of run my social media from a PR aspect. I didn't really talk about myself personally or mm-hmm. much or about anything I went through. And I was kind of, you know, living a kind of, I was kind of shooting through life without any problems. And, you know, that, that kind of, that I, no one had died around me for 27 years. Like I, I don't know why I just had a wow. good run and no one yeah. had died around me. I had hadn't gone to a funeral in 27 years. No one had died around me that I loved. I had some great grandparents and uh, great grandparents when I was young, but they all passed away in my twenties, early twenties and teens. And so no one had died around me for 27 years. I had no losses, if you will, that, you know, we build up when we experience these cathartic moments. And so, yeah, it hit me like a ton of bricks and I had no protection for it. No, no ability to deal with it. But yeah, you, you, you start to realize when you hear other people's stories that, Hey, you know, it's okay that I'm in this moment. It's okay, you know, because people do turn to suicide. They turn to other, you know, alcoholism or, or other destructive means because they think that, you know, they've fallen off the horse and now the whole world is looking at them pointing fingers. And that, that like I mentioned before, what surprised me was how many people had empathy towards what I was going through. And, 
you know, reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I, I'm going through the same thing. When I recently got my inaugural hernia, you know, people reach out to me and start telling me about the fact they had one. And I, and experience and you know i was kind of bummed out i got thrown off my 10 yep. 10 month run horse of working out and becoming a, a pretty strong guy now my focus is on losing weight you know so I've, I've realigned that but you know it's interesting you know everybody has time in the barrel and it's okay you're 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 gonna have that and welcome the, the next yeah. thing you got to do is focus on how to get yourself out of it and and learn from it and maybe help other people in the end and when you do learn, then you're going to be open up to connecting with the people in your lives that maybe you want to connect with. Like instead of when somebody asks you, oh my gosh, Chris, I know you're going through something. What's going on? Instead of you just going, ah, I'm fine and, and, and not wanting to engage them because you don't want to bring the attention. You don't want to be embarrassed. You don't want to feel guilty. You don't want to bring them down. You, you know that they're not really interested. Whatever all the junk is that's preventing you from answering that question truthfully, mm -hmm. right? that a little bit of that gets stripped away. And and I think for me, I, I know other people are more advanced than I was at that time. And they're, you know, they're, they're able to process these stuff as natural things that they know, but I didn't know, like until, until I knew, like I, I didn't know that I shouldn't care about what other people thought about me more than what I think about me until I knew, right? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. In fact, was, I was just, I, I mentioned, I just did a half Ironman the other day up in Oregon. And I just did, made me, remi reminded me of the very first half Ironman that I did. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was like five months away from from quitting smoking. I was still pretty overweight. And I'm like, all right, man, I'm like this stud. I'm going to go do a half Ironman. And I go up to the start and I and it's one of these, you know, starts over time. So you can watch all the people take off and then it's your turn to take off. And everyone was a Greek god. Like they were all in Speedos looking all like not an ounce of fat on them. You know, they were walking around on rose petals. I mean, they were like, I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? Like they're going to laugh at me. I'm the biggest idiot. I don't belong in this group of athletes. What the hell was I thinking? I should just, I literally should get in my car and go home because mm -hmm. I, I don't belong here. Everybody's going to look at me like I'm a total fraud. And then right before I let that thing take me to my car, I, the gun goes off and, and this one dude flips over on his back and he starts doggy paddling on his back. And another dude like swims over to the side of the river and starts walking because he can't swim. And I'm like, I started laughing at myself. I'm like, man, they're just running their own race. They could care less what anybody thinks. Well, you should do the same thing. Don't, yeah. don't care about them. Just, just, just figure out a way to get the race done. Yeah, that's the one thing you know people have with the gym, where you know, oh, you go to the gym. There's all these good-looking people. You know, there's the guys who are overrated out and they got right. the muscles, and you know, and you look at them and you look at yourself, and you know, I, I here I am going to the gym. I haven't worked out in fifty-three years. And, but then I, then I realized earlier on what we talked about earlier is, is the, the battle is in here. Yeah. The battle is against Chris Voss and Chris Voss's will and Chris Voss's body and his mind. You know, there were some days I, I talked about some Facebook where I didn't want to go to the gym. I'm like, I, I kind of hurt. I don't feel well. I, I kind of feel a little beat up and I like to take a day off, but I know myself well enough that that's how I got here by, by going, well, I'm going to take a day off on the gym today mm -hmm. and then tomorrow and the next day. And then 53 years go by. And so I would go to the gym and I'd slowly start working out, but I would force myself to go to the gym. Kind of like what you would use that where you would go, you know, to the meet and, right. and, you know, showing up is half the battle. And then you're there, and then I would be like, I don't feel well, but here, we'll, we'll, okay, let's just do a set. And, you know, one of the other lessons I learned a long time ago, the best way to eat the elephant is one bite at a time. Yep. So you go, okay, well, I'll do a set. 
and we'll see how I feel after that. But let's let's do a set. And then you do a set, and then you know all the pre workout caffeine kicks, <laughs> all the juicing you're doing. Not not steroid juicing, by the way. You know between all the proteins and you know I, I used to have all this. and and sometimes I go pump caffeine. You know, take some of that taurine, you know, take yeah. one of those rock star shots. Red Bulls, rock star. Wasn't, wasn't the go. best for you, but, you know, so, sometimes, you know. And then, you know, eventually those endorphins and whatever kick mm-hmm. in and your body goes, hey, back in shape and I kick into gear. But sometimes just driving myself to the gym, even though I didn't feel like going and just going, you're going to the gym and yep. we're going to sit there. I know there were some times where I didn't feel well and I, I would sometimes I have to stop and just go sit in the locker room, kind of cool out for a second if I was feeling kind of odd and then go right back at it. And sometimes I just had to process whatever was going on. But yeah, the, the headspace, like I would realize when I would go there, it, screw these other people at the gym. I'm not here for them. They don't, right. they don't, they don't have to live in my body. They don't have to live right. in my mind. Right. I do. Right. And that's, so, that's, that's the difference though, right? Because if you're making the promise to go to the gym for somebody else, you can get out of not being and not going to the gym, right? You can get out of it. You can make excuses for whatever when you're doing it for somebody else. When you're doing it for yourself and you walk by the mirror and you take a look and you go, oh man, I let that guy down. That's not a good feeling. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. And then you end up in a bag of, you know, Doritos or in a (laughs) box of ice cream or whatever, you know, like some people do. And you don't, and you don't look in the mirror saying, you know, I'm proud of you. You don't do that. You avoid the mirror. So this is a great discussion and a really important life lessons we've covered here, David. One of the other things we want to do on a plug is you do do speaking, keynote, workshops, and testimonials. Tell us a little bit about that before we go out. Yeah, sure. I have uh, several that are geared towards either, uh, you know, kind of like this idea of connecting people through story and being more empathetic and understanding and compassionate to what others are going through and, and allowing them to show us compassion and empathy for what we're going through. I kind of talk about that through the lessons learned in, in, in the cycle of lives project. And that's going to be ongoing for, for many years. I also do, um, uh, talking about business. As I said, you know, just tons of lessons learned from the, you know, from endurance athletics that can be applied to business and life that can be applied to endurance athletics and vice versa. So I have multiple uh, keynotes that I do depending on the audience and depending on what the need is. I, you know, I kind of love to tell stories and, and, and give people a, a like, a, Oh yeah. Okay. I can, I can get it through that analogy, through that story. Like I, like that makes sense to me because that's the way I work. Like I, I got like something happens and I get this visual in my head and I go, Oh yeah. So next time when I'm there, I think of that visual and, and it helps me through whatever I'm going through, you know? Yeah. That's that's awesome. So you inspire people in so many different ways. Anything more we want to touch on or promote uh, on you before we go? Well, gosh, Chris, we just met, but we should talk <laughs> for another six or eight hours. I mean, honestly. <laughs> Good about life lessons and stuff. <laughs> but we want people to go buy the book, too. We want them to, yeah, go, yeah, yeah. We want them to go buy the book, the book and yeah, yeah, themselves or read stuff. Not only that, but it's it's the audio book is awesome because I had 15 actors. Each do one of the 15 people. Oh, really? Yeah, That's so it was really it was really fantastic. The 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 book, like I said, is inspiration. It's also not four hundred pages of a zero to page four hundred. Each story is self contained in the voice of of the person. Mm-hmm. So um, so you can read one story and move on and, and be done with it. You know, obviously you, you raise a little bit of money for for charity, which is great. But I think what it can do is really give you just a tiny bit more insight into the, that idea that we've been talking about most of the time, which is you never know what people are going through or what they have gone through. And in that case, I, I've heard so many people come back to me and go, 
oh my God, I'm going to be a better doctor. I'm going to be a better nurse. I know how I'm going to be a better friend. I now know what to say to my grandma. And I don't provide the answers. I'm just that I just wrote the stories. But oh my gosh, now I know what to say to my grandpa after my grandpa died, right? Like wow. I, I, like I'm not afraid to say the wrong thing anymore. And, and so I, I think the book in, in that sense is really accomplishing what I hope to set out to do. That is awesome, man. Yeah. Everyone should check out the book. In fact, I've got to do the audio book for my book. I should use my 15 different personalities to to read the book. (laughs) But I like that idea of having 15 different actors because that really gives it that feel. I'm a big, amazing. I'm a big audio book consumer. I love audio books because I can listen while I'm working. I can listen while I'm driving. I used to listen to the gym or going, you know, any place. I mean, first thing I do in the car when I turn it on is load up the audio book and plug it in and, and, uh, you know, if, to me driving somewhere is such a waste of time or, yep. you know, doing something, traveling, flying, so play, it's such a waste of time. So use it to expand your mind, get smarter. And I love that sort of aspect of it. So thank you very much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, David. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, I'm glad you had me. I love talking to you. And if there's a reason for us to talk again, let's do it. I, th- we'll I feel like we could converse all the time. There you go. And give us a plug.com so people can find out more about you. Yeah. So my books are wherever books are sold, Amazon, you know, your local bookstore, whatever. If you want a signed copy or you just want to learn more or talk to me or interact with me, I, I do respond to all contact inquiries. Uh, it's, it's cycleoflives.org, mm-hmm. cycleoflives.org. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, whatever. There you go. Order up the book, guys. You can find it on Amazon. Cycle of Lies, 15 people's stories, 5,000 miles, and a journey through the emotional chaos of cancer. You know, we all take time in the barrel, and sometimes the biggest fight and battles that we have are within sight of ourselves and, and what's on between our ear space. And then, of course, our bodies as well. Thanks for tuning in to my audience. We certainly appreciate it. Go to Goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss. Go to YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Voss. LinkedIn, Fortress Chris Voss, and all of our big groups over there, the new LinkedIn newsletter, et cetera, et cetera. Also, make sure you go to ChrisVossLeadershipInstitute.com. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.